doing well? Excellent. Good to have you with us. Welcome to Desert Breeze Community Church. Life Without Lack, Psalm 23. Abounding grace for my brokenness. That's what we're going to talk about this morning. Grab your sermon notes out. You can follow along. Everyone has experienced brokenness to one degree or another. Just look around. Look around. Just take a moment. Look around here. Everyone here, everyone here has, has experienced brokenness to one degree or another. And our brokenness is the result of sins that we have committed and the sins that have been committed against us. So the sins we have committed, we break God's laws. Actually, we don't break God's laws. We break ourselves against his laws. And when others break God's laws, that creates an offense also to us. So so the brokenness that we all experience is the result of sins we have committed and the sins that have been committed against us. Now, there's only two choices when it comes to dealing with our brokenness, and that is the bondage of bitterness. You can take that route, that path, or you can take the other path, it's a much better path, the freedom of forgiveness. There's no other choices, just those two choices, bondage of bitterness, freedom of forgiveness. Now we're at the point here in Psalm 23, uh, it's the fifth verse, it says, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. So let me give you the thesis statement of, uh, summary statement of where we're headed here this morning. How does God's abounding grace heal our brokenness? And here's, here's the first answer, you can see it on your notes, by making us the most forgiven, reconciled, and loved people in the world. That's where he starts. It's amazing. He starts with us and starts by making us the most forgiven, reconciled, and loved people in the world. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. That's what that is based on. So why is that true? Next point, next part of this thesis statement or summary statement, because there because no sin or suffering is a match for God's redeeming and restoring grace. You anoint my head with oil. And if that's true, if those, both those statements are true, therefore we should be the most forgiving, reconciling, and loving people in this world. My cup overflows. That's where we're headed with our study this morning. Would you bow your heads with me? Let's take a moment, ask for God's help as we work through this study. So Father God, in our fallen world, none of us escapes the heartaches and the wounds that life and relationships inflict. And regardless of how we have been hurt, we all face the common question of what what we should do with our brokenness. And so we pray through the study of your word, the work of your Holy Spirit, help us to see that there is no torment like the inner torment of bitterness And there is no freedom like the freedom of forgiveness that our Savior Jesus Christ offers us. 
Isaiah 53, 5. He, Jesus, was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And, and with his wounds, we are healed. May your redeeming and restoring grace fill this place and touch every person's life that hears this message in Jesus' beautiful name. And everyone said, amen. amen. So let me, uh, I've had you, I asked you to start memorizing the 23rd Psalm. And each week we have uh, said the 23rd Psalm together. This week I'm just going to recite it. And I want you just to kind of reflect on, on it as I kind of go through it, kind of word for word, just just kind of bask in the reality of, of the truth here. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his namesake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil because you are with me. Remember the transition here? So the first part is, is talking about God and then he goes to talking to God. Intimacy, the rest of it is intimacy with God. I love it. Intimacy with God. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil because you, you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. And now this is the section we're looking at this morning. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. And then next week we'll look at this part. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. This is the word of the Lord to us this weekend. Once again, it's beautiful, absolutely breathtaking what he gives to us, a life without lack. Now, first question, how does God's abounding grace heal our brokenness by making us the most forgiven, reconciled, and loved people in the world. You prepare a table before me. Now, if I prepared a table for you, before you, it wouldn't be all that good. Do you like Cheerios? Okay? But if my wife prepared a table before you, it would be great, believe me. But if the Lord, the good shepherd, prepared a table before you, because this is what he's talking about, it would be a feast out of this world. That's the point that he's making here. And, and in fact, on the table are spread all the spiritual blessings that Christ purchased for us with his precious blood. The table is a picture of everything that is ours through Christ. And I've just got three three of those items. There's much more than this. But let's just reflect on, on these three items. First of all, we are forgiven. What does that mean to be forgiven? If you have put your faith in Jesus Christ, you are forgiven. And that means none of my sins, past, present, or future, will ever be held against me. Do you hear that? That's crazy. You've got to be kidding me. No, I'm not. That's that's the truth. All of your sins, past, present, and future, will never, ever be held against you from God because of what God did through his son Jesus. Listen to what it says in uh, Romans 8.1. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Some of you have memorized that. I have. 
And literally what the, the Greek means is, no, not ever. You're not condemned. He frees us from the penalty of sin. In fact, it tells us in Psalm 103, 12, as far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. How far is the east from the west? It's long, long way, so. It's, you can't, it's incalculable. So regardless of what you have done, if you put your faith in Christ, he, re, he removes our transgressions from us as far as the east is from the west, and he will never hold our sin against us. That's the first part. That's the first part. That's the first word there, forgiven. Next one is reconciled. What is that? Re- restoration to and the receiving of God's favor. 2 Corinthians 5.18 says, all of this is from God. All of what is he talking about? Well, verse 17 says, those that are in Christ have become a new creation. All things have passed away. All things have become new. So we're, we, it's talking about regeneration. We're brand new people. We have a new potential, new power, new privileges in Christ. And then he goes on and he says, in verse 18, all of this is from God, so it's a gift from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. So he's not only reconciled us to himself, but then he wants us to tell others about this amazing reconciliation. So what is this rec- reconciliation? Well, restoration to in the receiving of God's favor. See, this is finding life at the center of God's affection for you. To be in God's favor means for him to turn his face towards you, to look on you with pleasure and even friendship. That's what it means to be in God's favor. It is to be in a sweet and intimate relationship with the God of the universe. Maybe you're familiar with the words found in Numbers 6, 24 through 26. It's the uh, ironic uh, blessing High priest blessing, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Now think about that. That's what he's talking about here. When we have God's favor, he looks upon us. He beams. He adores us. We have his favor. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you. And be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Grace and peace. When my, um, my grandkids come over, grandma and grandpa beam. We shine upon those kids. I mean, and so there's that, wow, I can't believe you're here. That's awesome. Come on in here. We're going to fill you up with some candy. <laughs> and then send you back home. No, we, we, it, that's just, that's that, overwhelming sense it's just they have our countenance upon them and our love and our adoration that's what it means to be reconciled restoration to and the receiving of God's glory to have God's face shine upon you to see his countenance lifted up in joy when he looks at you that's what it means to be favored by God and by the way you should have that experience regularly if not daily When you go to him in prayer, you should see his countenance upon you. He is beaming with joy over you. That's because of what Jesus did. Here's the next one, loved. So we are forgiven, reconciled, loved. His preemptive and perfect love. 
chases away the fears. Preemptive love, why do we love him? Because he first loved us. And then it's his perfect love chases away the fears. If you have any fear in your life, it's because you're not being made perfect in his love. You need to have an experience of his love in your heart that chases away the fears. He doesn't love us because we are lovable, but in order to make us lovable. Now listen how uh, J.I. Packer puts just these three kind of statements together. I thought it was a good explanation of these three statements put together. Adoption is the highest privilege of the gospel. The traitor is forgiven, brought in for supper, and given the family name. The traitor, that's us. And we're brought in for supper. I prepare a table before you and given the family name. So let me ask you this question. You can discuss it with the people sitting around you. What is the most important part of the Christian life? And I'll give you two options here. What we do for Christ or what Christ has done for us? Turn to the person next to you real quick and see if they know the answer. So what would you guys say? Is it do or done? Done, done. Why is that? See, when we focus on do, it's really focusing on our behavior. My behavior's not right. I need to get better. I need to try harder. I need to, yeah, 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 yeah. I understand that. We all do. The problem is, is that what we need to do is focus on what has been done for us because it's what has been done for us changes our behavior. It's what we do. So when you're struggling in what you're doing, your behavior, you need to go back to what has been done and you need to behold. It's in the beholding of who Christ is and what he's done for you that transforms your behavior. So you should be regularly sitting down at this table prepared for you by God, the good shepherd, and feasting. I am the most forgiven, reconciled, loved person on this planet. That's, that's what should go through your mind. There should be a basking in the reality of that because believe me, when that goes from your head down into your heart, <laughs> you're different. It transforms you. So that's why healing of our brokenness begins with God making us the most forgiven, reconciled, loved people in the world. Just these three alone, just these three, we could add many more to the table that he prepares for us. Just these three alone should cause you to be filled with awe and wonder forever, forever indebted to God, no matter how your life goes from this point on. Awe and wonder and forever indebted to him. People who are regularly sitting at his table are humble happy and holy. They're they're humble in that they realize how little they deserve and yet how how much has been given to them. They're happy because nothing compares to sitting at his table. Nothing satisfies you like Christ and what he prepares for you, what he gives to you. And holy, nothing completes you like this. In fact, it's your happiness in him that makes you holy. Holy uh, means whole. He puts all the pieces of your life back together and you become more and more like Christ. And 
And happiness helps you to become holy because holiness is being so happy in Christ that sin loses its appeal. Sin is what we do when we're not satisfied with God. And it's just showing, giving evidence that you're not sitting at his table. I prepare, he prepares a table before me. Coming to his table daily when you're doing your devotions, when we get together weekly, we're coming to his table and we're celebrating the fact that we are the most forgiven, reconciled, loved people in the world. That's out of this world. That should get a hold of our hearts daily. So let me ask you this question. You can discuss it with the folks sitting around you again. What is our biggest problem? I'll give you two options. What is our biggest problem? The sins committed against us are the sins we have committed against a holy and loving God. Real quick, discuss it. So what do you guys think? The second one? So it's our sins against a holy, loving God. I think if you were to ask most Christians, American Christians, and even a lot of people out there, they would all, that most of them would say, no, 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 it's the sins that have been committed against me. The sins that have been committed against me. The Bible would differ with that. The Bible would say, no, 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 it's actually your sins against a holy, loving God. You have been forgiven by God far more than what you will ever have to forgive others. The Bible makes that really clear. Matthew 18, it talks about the parable of the unforgiving servant. And when you look at this, what goes on in this story, it's really a great story on forgiveness. This servant owed $6 billion to the master, but the master forgave him of the $6 billion only for this servant to go out and begin to choke out someone who owed him only about $12,000. So $6 billion versus about $12,000 in, in our uh, money exchange today. And it'd be, it'd be like having, you, got a, you have $6 billion in your bank account and having someone rip you off for 12000 Would that be that big of a deal? Not if you understood what you have in Christ. Not if you understood what you had. I'm not minimizing any abuse or hurt. I know that there are many that have been really hurt deeply by the sins of others. What I'm saying is that there is restoration and healing in Christ Jesus and what we have in him. That's where he begins in our lives. Forgiveness is the true indication that you have received God's forgiveness and you're beginning to cherish it. Forgiven people are forgiving people. Unforgiveness is unbelief in the gracious forgiveness of God toward us in Christ. Now you notice that he said, you prepare a table before me, where? In the presence of my enemies. What is that about? What does he mean by that? I put this on your notes. There is feasting and freedom despite and in the sight of our enemies. Think about this. You have a coworker that hates you or a family member that has abused you or a close friend that, that, uh, that has betrayed you or a spouse that has been unfaithful to you or a child that has rejected you and the faith that you hold dear. Listen, 
If God is for you, who can be against you? That, that's what he's saying here. That's, that's from Romans 8, 31. Though surrounded by enemies, we can experience these blessings in peace and security. In fact, a good example of this is found in Exodus. Remember the story of Exodus when we went through about a year ago, the first chapter, the, the nation of Israel is under great oppression, oppression and abuse by the Egyptians. But there was something happening in those bitter times. They were still being blessed by God in those bitter times. This is what it says. It's on your notes. Exodus 1, I put 15 on your notes, I think, but it's actually 112. Exodus 112, listen to what it says. But the more they were oppressed, the Israelites, the more they multiplied and the more they spread abroad and the Egyptians were in dread of the people of Israel. He had prepared a table before them in the presence of their enemies. Even in the presence of of antagonism and hatefulness and, and unforgiveness and all these things, we can feast on all the blessings that are ours through Christ Jesus. So now why is this true? It's the next, next thought on your notes. Because no sin or suffering is a match for God's redeeming and restoring grace. You anoint my head with oil. Shepherds would put oil on the heads of their sheep to soothe their scratches and wounds. And so I, kinda, I did a study, and the Bible talks a lot about oil. It represents a lot of different uh, things. It's, uh, it's kind of a metaphor for a lot of things in our life. Let me just give you a couple things here. Proverbs 27, 9. It says, oil and perfume make the heart glad. So very common in, in this day and time when people would travel long distance, come into someone's home, they would give them oil and perfume to freshen them up and make their heart glad. Oftentimes when we take showers here in this dry desert, we put lotion on our bodies and it feels so good, it's so soothing. That's a little bit of the idea here. There's a soothing, there's a healing that's taking place here. <clears throat> Listen to uh, Isaiah 61, 1 through 3. Jesus read this at the inauguration of his ministry in Luke 4. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to, to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to those who are bound to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. This is what our Savior does for us. This is what he came to do. And then in verse 3, he says, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, oil, healing. He heals us. Psalm 147, 3 through 4. Listen to me. Everybody look up here. This is what we can learn from this. The one who names and numbers the stars can heal your broken heart and bind up your wounds and fill you with an indescribable and indestructible joy. That's the oil upon your head. 1 Peter 1.8 talks about that indescribable, indestructible joy that is ours. So here's a couple thoughts that this church is founded on. Let me just say something here real quick. 
is that I'm, I'm walking very slowly because I nearly lost my voice in the last service. And so I'm kind of walking through this slowly. And I think it's really important. I don't want, I don't want you to miss anything. But I don't have the, the enthusiasm and, and the passion that this message deserves. So hang in there with me as I work through this. And, and excuse me if I take a drink from time to time. But here's the foundation of what we're all about here. Nothing, absolutely nothing can transform a human heart, heal a wounded soul, turn hatred into love, bring about forgiveness, reconciliation, and peace like the gospel. Like the gospel. Nothing, absolutely nothing on this planet. Whatever the capacity for human sin and suffering, the church, that's us, The church has a greater capacity through the gospel for healing and wholeness. He anoints my head with oil. Now, next point on your notes here. Brokenness can lead to bitterness when we allow the wound to be filled with the poison of unforgiveness. So that's you're beginning to understand. So when we take that path of, the path of bitterness, the bondage of bitterness, that's because of the poison of unforgiveness. Ephesians 4, 26 to 27 says, be angry but don't sin. Don't let the sun go down on your anger and don't give the devil a foothold. One of the easiest ways to give the devil a foothold into our life is Unforgiveness. And bitterness. Now he's telling us this because there's obviously a good anger and a bad anger. He says, be angry but don't sin. So there's a way of being angry and not sinning, and there's a way of being angry and sinning. So good anger would be when God's will is violated, such as abortion, sex trafficking, domestic violence, list goes on. So what would be bad anger? When my will gets violated or I don't get what I want. That would, be, that would be bad anger unless my will is his will, consistent with his will. Hebrews 12, 15 says this, see to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God and a bitter root grows up, causes trouble, and defiles many. I don't even need to ask for a show of hands of how many of you know someone that through their brokenness, they became bitter and it caused trouble within their own life and they defile everybody that they come in touch with because of that poison of unforgiveness deep in their heart. St. Augustine puts it this way, resentment is like taking poison and hoping the other person dies. So, we got to look into our heart. Because it can go disguised, this bitterness. We can cover it up. We can be in denial. So I've got three categories here of uh, kind of seeing how we deal with the brokenness in our life. The first one is open bitterness. So signs I need some healing of past hurts. So the first one, open bitterness, open aggression. Let me go through this list. This is mine, okay? This is where I am. See if this is where you might be. 
The next two are my wives, and I can't wait till we get to those two. <laughs> she owns the next two, but I own just this one, okay? So open bitterness. I am blunt and forceful when someone does something to frustrate me. When I speak my convictions, my voice gets increasingly louder. I'm very defensive when confronted. No one has to guess my opinion. I am so focused on fixing problems, I can overlook others' feelings. I usually get in bickering matches with others. During verbal disagreements, I tend to repeat myself several times. Got to get my point across, and you're not getting it, okay? I have a reputation of being strong-willed. I give advice even when not asked. Now, passive bitterness. This is the next one, passive bitterness. When frustrated, I become silent knowing it bothers other people. I'm prone to sulk and pout. I struggle with procrastination, laziness, and chronic tardiness. I didn't understand that one until I asked my wife. And I said, why why would someone with passive bitterness do that? She goes, because they don't care. I go, whoa, that was good. That was quick, too. You must know a little bit about that. And she does. I will give a verbal message that nothing is wrong while showing hostile body language. I backstab, spread rumors, complain about people behind their back. I engage in behavior that is purposely irritating and aggravating to others. Now, here's the third one, suppressed bitterness, or you could call it suppressed aggression. I'm very image conscious. I don't like others to know my problems. Even when flustered, I portray myself as having it all together. Resentful thinking is is common, though most would not suspect it. I can be depressed and moody. By the way, anger turned inward becomes depression. So I, I can be depressed and moody. If someone upsets me, I can go days without saying something. I've suffered from physical complaints such as headaches, stomach ailments, and sleep irregularity. Okay, okay. Show of hands. Let's confess. Who would fit into this first category of open bitterness? Show of hands. Show of hands. Open bitterness. Open bitterness. Okay, let me just see who you are. Okay, yep. And no one's raising someone else's hand for them? (laughs) That's what my wife would be doing. Put your hand up. Put both hands up. Okay, how about the next one? Passive bitterness. Show of hands. Passive bitterness. Passive bitterness. Okay, gotcha. How about suppressed bitterness? Suppressed bitterness? Okay. So here's what's interesting with my wife. Let me talk about her here just for about 30 minutes. (laughs) My wife is actually suppressed bitterness until in my open bitterness, I push her to a limit, and then hers becomes, super, hers becomes passive bitterness. So in my open bitterness, she is suppressed bitterness until I push her, and then she becomes passive bitterness. And so how many would say all three are, are yours, just <laughs> depending on the day, the person? Yeah, a little schizophrenia right there. 
Don't know which one I'm going to land on today. So look out. Ephesians 4, 31 through 32. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. That's what we're talking about here, putting that all away. And then he says this, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another. How? As God in Christ forgave you. See, if you're you're not living in the reality of what he's done for you, you can't give it to others. Let me give you some thoughts on forgiveness here just just for a moment. I'll take my time here. I was gargling. (laughs) Thoughts on forgiveness. I was looking at those lights and now I see nothing but stars. Sorry about that. Some thoughts on uh, forgiveness. It only takes one to forgive. Forgiveness has to do with the past. It takes two to reconcile. Has to do with the present. Relationships are two-way streets. You can only take care of your side of the street. You can't force them to take care of theirs. So it takes two to reconcile. And it takes performance over time to reestablish trust in your offender or your abuser. And that has to do with the future. Trust can't be demanded. So if someone demands trust, well, you just have to trust me. Well, no, you don't. Trust has to be earned over time based on your performance, especially if you have violated their trust. It's going to take time. It's never, ever loving to let someone sin against you. To subject yourself to abuse is wrong. You need to draw some some strong boundaries and and maybe even at some point exit that relationship. Forgiveness is a decision, not based on your feelings. You'll never feel like forgiving someone that has hurt you. So it's a decision. It's a process. It may take some time. I had a guy hurt me a number of years ago, stabbed me in the back, messed up this church in, in different ways. He was a leader here. And it took me about a year to, to work through it, to work through the forgiveness. Each time someone would say something about him or his name came up or any number of things that reminded me of that, I just I had to struggle. I had to keep taking, I had to keep forgiving him and keep working through that process. It was a process. So it does take time. In fact, I knew that it was a process and was still working through it because it had already been close, almost to a year or so and I was sitting down with our staff at the time and I was talking about what this guy had done to us. Some of them didn't know him. And then as, as I got finished with talking about him, I said, and I'm pretty much over it. And someone on staff said, no, you're not. 
And, and then I realized, and, and I was kind of like, so why do you say that? It was your neck veins that gave you away. It's like, I can't stand this guy. And, you know, but I'm over it. So there was almost this kind of reaction. And so what I was doing is I was actually reliving it. And you want to get to the place where you can recall it without having to relive it each time. And that takes time. It's a process. You just have to keep working through that. And so it's a decision, it's a process, it's canceling the debt they owe you, absorbing the cost and the promise to not bring up the debt to yourself. You've got to stop nursing, cursing, and rehearsing that debt in your heart and your mind. So you stop bringing it up to yourself, to others, and the offender if you're still in relationship with them. So, so how does God heal our brokenness? By making us the most forgiven, reconciled, and loved people in the world because no sin, no sin or suffering is a match for God's redeeming and restoring grace. That's the first part. Now here, therefore, if you're living in the reality of that, this is what should be happening in your life. Therefore, we should be the most forgiving, reconciling, and loving people in this world. When you really think about what we have through Christ Jesus, that should be coming out of our lives. My cup overflows. That's what he means. What does he mean by that? You will not only have enough, but more than enough to overflow into other people's lives. By the way, whatever's inside the cup comes out of the cup when that cup is shaken. It's not the shaking It's not the abuse, it's not the hurt, not minimizing any abuse that you've had, but what I'm saying is that it's what's inside comes out of the the cup. What's stored up inside of the cup is gonna come out of the cup when that cup is shaken. Remember now, contentment is the inner gracious quiet spirit that joyfully rests in God's presence and providence. One of the greatest examples, I think, in the Bible, there's, there's numerous examples, but one of the great examples in the Bible of forgiveness and the providential hand of God is the story of Joseph. Let me walk you through that. And we're going to draw three points here that we'll conclude our study here this morning with in really answering the question, healing of past hurts is happening when I, and there's these three things that are, should be happening in my life. Let me tell you the story of Joseph. It's found in Genesis 27:50. It's let me kind of give you the, the short version of it. Joseph was one of the 12 sons of Jacob. His older brothers became jealous of him because of their father's favored treatment of him and his obvious arrogance to them. They plotted to kill him but instead sold him into slavery and told their father uh, that he was tragically killed by a, a wild animal. Joseph ended up in Egypt as the lead guy for Potiphar, captain of the guard of Pharaoh. Things were looking up until Potiphar's wife falsely accused Joseph of attempted rape after her failed efforts to seduce him. And as a result, he was thrown in prison and forgotten for years. While in prison, he interpreted dreams for some prisoners and made a name for having wisdom. And later, Pharaoh heard about him and called on him for this purpose. Joseph so impressed Pharaoh that he was made second in command of Egypt. Talk about the providential hand of God. 
I mean, here's a guy that goes from the pit. Literally, his brothers stripped him of his clothes, threw him in a pit, sold him into slavery. He goes from the pit to prison, now to the palace, second in command. Meanwhile, there's a famine in the land, and Joseph's brothers all feel the impact, so they make their way to Egypt to ask for food. And Joseph generously provided for his brothers while keeping his identity veiled. But eventually, he revealed, reveals his identity, and they are gripped with fear of his revenge. Now listen to these words from Joseph. And you tell me if healing hasn't taken place in his life with the kind of abuse that he experienced. Genesis 50, 19 through 21. But Joseph said to them, do not fear, for am I in the place of God? As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. So do not fear. I will provide for you and your little ones. Thus, he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. Oh my goodness, you've got to be kidding me. Healing of past hurts is happening when, first one, when I stop sitting in God's place. Joseph said to them, do not fear, for am I in the place of God? Romans 12, 19. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Anytime you hold a grudge, you are sitting in God's place. Forgiveness is not letting your abuser off the hook, but turning them over to God. If you hold a grudge, you are doubting that God will ultimately judge. Now listen to me. Everybody look up here. No one, absolutely no one gets away with anything, and God is the only one in the universe who has the power and the knowledge and the might to bring righteous judgment. God will repay that sin either on the cross if that person repents or in hell where they will be forever. So you know you're beginning to make progress when you go from, I'd like to pay them back to... God, pay them back to God, I pity them. Please, God, rescue them. Rescue them from themselves and do what's best for them. I want the best for them. That's when you know, that's when you know there's healing in your heart. So you... First of all, stop sitting in God's place. Here's the second one. Start seeing from God's perspective. Start seeing 
from God's perspective. I've always called this the 50-20 perspective. I love it. It has brought such healing to my heart. Now think about this. Here's a guy that his perpetrators were his own brothers. They stripped him of his clothes and threw him in a pit, sold him into slavery, and now he's looking into their eyes. He's looking into the eyes of his abusers. He's not denying reality. He says, you intended to harm me, but God, but God, but God intended it for good for what is now being done, the saving of many lives. That's powerful. He's got it. He's got a whole new perspective. He's seeing from God's perspective. Genesis 50.20 is the Romans 8.28 of the Old Testament. You guys know what Romans 8.28 is? For we know that all things work together for good for those that love God and are called according to his purpose. So let me ask you this question. Can God bring good out of evil? What do you guys think? Yeah, absolutely. What's the best, what's the greatest example of God bringing good out of evil? The cross. The cross. See, the cross is evidence that God's, in God's loving, wise control, that's his providence, he can turn times of apparent horrible suffering, crucifixions, into wonderful times of grace and victory, resurrections. And not only that, here's what the cross does. Here's how the the, the healing that it brings to our lives. The freedom of Christ secured for us on the cross wasn't wasn't a life free of pain and problems, but a life free of self-pity, bitterness, and hopelessness in the midst of our pain and problems. So this is how you know that you're beginning to have God's perspective, is that you are rid of self-pity, bitterness, and hopelessness. You're beginning to get God's perspective. If Joseph hadn't been betrayed by his brothers, sold into slavery, falsely accused by Potiphar's wife, and forgotten in prison for years, he would have never escaped his own deadly character flaws. He would have never have been able to redeem his own family from its generations of deep sins, nor would he have been able to save thousands of people from famine. And that's what he did. God often uses our troubles to rescue us from our own flaws and makes us great. Stop sitting in God's place. Start seeing from God's perspective. Strive to show God's passion. Listen to what he says here, verse 21. So do not fear. So he's speaking to his perpetrators. So do not fear. Now, if it would have been me, I'd say, you better fear. Because I'm coming after you guys. And he could have had them executed. He's second in command. But he says, do not fear. I will provide for you and your little ones. Thus, he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. Matthew 5, 44 through 45 says, but I say to you, this is our Savior, Jesus speaking, Sermon on the Mount, but I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. You're never 
more like your Father in heaven than when you are forgiving, reconciling, and loving. You've heard the statement before, hurt people, hurt people. Healed people, heal people. Let's pray. So Father God, we are in awe and wonder and forever indebted to you for the indispensable and costly work of Christ on the cross that by grace through faith in him we are the most forgiven, reconciled, and loved people in the world and no sin or suffering is a match for your redeeming and restoring grace. Therefore, because because of, of your work for us and in us and now through us, may we be the most forgiving, reconciling, and loving people in this world for our joy and your glory in Jesus' beautiful name. And everyone said, amen. amen. Love you guys.